to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich, and I could not be more excited today to have Steve Ranella on. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on, and uh, thanks for waiting for me to get set up here. That's so thrilled. Um, I've had so many people reach out and ask if if you could be on the podcast with your book coming out. In fact, like three minutes ago, I just got an email. Have you thought of having on in a, in a you know, I'm telling oh, really? people, well, he's huge. You know, I don't know if I can get him on our podcast. So I am so grateful. Um, I know people are going to be so excited. They've been posting your book in our Facebook group and all sorts of things. So you have a brand new book. It's a good one. I loved it. Outdoor kids in an inside world, getting your family out of the house and radically engaged with nature. Congrats. Congrats. This is book number eight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it came out uh, yeah, just recently. And, um, you know, I've been through this a, a few times, but every time, you know, you go through this process, it's like, a, I don't know, it gets, it re- re- it's always an emotional journey, you know, to, yeah. to put something like this out in, into the world. Yeah. Yeah, it is. In eight times you've done it. So congrats to you. And I know it's number one in nature and number one in camping and hiking guides and all these things. So so congratulations. And and really, it's an extremely impactful book. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's Mine's Dirty. I've been, I've been taking it along uh, with me on some of our outdoor adventures. So it's a perfect little size to throw in your bag. And um, and just once again, thank you. I know that uh, when you book launch and you're busy anyways, you've got your TV show and all the other things, but book launch is especially especially busy. So thanks so much for uh, hanging out here for a little bit. Um, let me read a little bit of your bio. You're a father, outdoorsman, writer, wild foods enthusiast, creator, and host of television show Meat Eater and the Meat Eater podcast. This is your eighth book. Uh, you got seven others, three kids, uh, and you guys, uh, y'all live in Montana. That's right. We live in Southwest Montana and Bozeman. That's awesome. Well, uh, so this book, um, you know, what I what I really loved about it, Stephen, uh, is that it was relatable and unrelatable all at the same time. You sort of did this masterful job of of bringing the unrelatable things and, and making them very intriguing and enticing and um, and also were relatable at the same time, too, with all the things that you've done with your kids. Uh, so I was wondering if we could talk about there were some vocabulary and phrases and things I'd never heard. Uh, some of the things you, you, I think you made up. Um, and then some of the other ones were just um, things that I'd never come in contact with. So would you be up for talking about some of those? Oh, no, this is great. This is, uh, you've set this up to be a question. No, one, I'm excited because this is a question no one's asked. So this all right. Is all right. <laughs> so can you, can you talk about wearing it dry? Oh, Yes. Uh, uh, so I don't, I have a little bit of, I, I think I explained this a little bit. I have an organizational problem. Um, it's like just bad. I like uh, in my home, I like clean surfaces. I, I like a lot of things that don't go hand in hand with having kids. I like clean surfaces. <laughs> I'm like an organization freak, you know, okay. I re- really have to. I have to hold it in to not bring everyone around me down. And it's because it's yeah. like a bit of a joke in my family. My kids like my kids tease me about it. Anyhow, when going places, I don't like to pack a lot of extra clothing and things, especially with the kids, because it winds up being that it's all wet. Uh, you know, they get soaked, they get full of mud. It's just stuff laying everywhere. Um, they go through it super fast. And then 
I propose this idea because I do it myself. Is like we call it like wearing it dry, meaning once you get your clothes wet, you get your clothes wet in the rain, you get your clothes wet, you know, playing in a creek, whatever. Um, if you throw it in the corner of of the cabin or throw it in the corner of a tent or throw it in the trunk of a car, it will be wet through the end of time, right? It's, it's just <laughs> not going to dry. Power smell. So the thing is, you, yeah, you just wear it and it dries extremely quickly when you just wear it. So when going, like my wife and I will constantly have this dispute. She'd be like, we're going for four days. I'm like, well, if we're going for four days, pack two days worth of clothes. They will, if they get wet, they'll wear it dry. They'll wear it dry. And, and that's just my, my way of saying, let's not bring a bunch of stuff. If they get wet, they'll wear it. It'll dry out and they'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, this is great advice. I thought there were so many funny parts in your book um, that, you know, and that helps, that helps you remember the different concepts. You know, you say you wear the same pants while you're camping, you know, and then you have this wearing it dry and this experience with your son and your wife wanted you to bring more clothes and you didn't, you know, and you talk about, there's this, you know, tension between the, you know, spouses. And, uh, so it really helps you to remember the different yeah, concepts. I, do it. <laughs> Am I allowed? Am I allowed to tell you what the story I tell about wearing it dry? Am I allowed to tell you what um, why it's become kind of a family punchline? The wearing it dry thing. Is it the story is, from uh, the book? Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Tell it for the people who haven't read it. It's funny. <laughs> I'm sure boy, it wasn't funny at the time. My youngest boy. No, my youngest boy. I don't remember how old he was. He was just like just getting done with diapers, you know, and uh, um we have this big conversation about wearing it dry. We're going up to Southeast Alaska where it's, um, it's an area that gets 13 feet of rain every year. Wow. So legitimately 169 inches of precipitation, like everything. So, but I propose the wearing it dry plan because <laughs> I, uh, if not, everything would just be wet and it would just be laying in a wet pile. So they're going to be wet anyways. Just, you know, we'll start a fire in the wood stove and they'll dry out while they eat dinner. Uh, so we don't bring any, really many extra clothes at all. And my son right away wades out into the water. It's like wades out, uh, waist deep water. And my wife goes out and gets men and we're having this like wear it dry thing. And then she looks and he's had an accident in his pants. And so she's like, you know, wear that dry too. Right. <laughs> and, um, that'd be kind of, kind of the wear it dry punchline there. Uh, I recently had an opportunity to, uh, my, my boy always goes over his rubber boots. Like, you know, you know, those little muck boots, you know, rubber knee boots. Mm -hmm. Anytime he comes to your water, he goes over his boots. And I can never understand, like, why not just go into the water until, right, mm -hmm. up to, and then don't, why? And I was really, <laughs> I was irritated with him and really pressing him, like, why? I just want to know, why do you, why do you go over the top of your boots in the water? <laughs> and when, when, when pressed for an explanation, he told me that he doesn't like to look down. So therefore he's not, he's not aware. He's not aware that he's that deep because he doesn't like looking down. <laughs> so I, thought it was, I was like, I was like, that's great. That's a very satisfying answer. Thank you for that. There we go. You got to look up. Oh, I just, I think that wear, wearing it dry is great. How about, okay. How about the poison weight? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I want to, okay. This has to do with wild mushrooms. Yeah. And I want to point, I want to point out that I do not do the poison weight with my children, but it would be that 
if you're a wild mushroom enthusiast, um, and I used to be more than I am. And when I say enthusiast, I mean that like to go and find and identify new types of wild mushrooms. Um, I remember one time I was in, before having kids, I was in the Idaho panhandle. Uh, I went to, I went to, to college across the state line in Montana. And I remember we found in, in one weekend along the St. Joseph River, we found nine species of wild edible mushroom. Wow. And I, but it must have been seven of them I hadn't found before, right? And you're using, uh, this is pre-internet in its current form. And you're using field guides where you're like keying, you're actually keying mushrooms, you know, mm-hmm. and it's telling you like the, things like spore prints, right? Like you wow. put the mushroom on a white surface and you'll get a beige spore print, not to be confused with a tan spore print, uh, but you do your best to identify it. And it, I would get to a certain level of certainty about what I was looking at. And then we would cook the mushrooms and eat them. And then it was the poison weight i was, was sort of the hour after where you're sitting there being like man i sure hope that we i sure hope we identified it right and it was yeah. always like a, i thought it was like a really exhilarating it was sort of a really exhilarating period of time to wait and see if something bad is going to happen to you um the only time but the only time i've ever gotten actually sick from mushrooms um I was eating something that was almost positive. Like I was positive. It was a, a, a queen bleat, hmm. um, easy to identify, ate it without any consideration and then got sick. And then later learned from a mycologist. This was, I was in Alaska and later learned from a mycologist that she's like, strange thing. A lot of people that eat queen bleats just fine. will eat them in Alaska and get sick on them, which is just something I hadn't turned up in my research. Wow. When I point out that I play it very safe with my kids, we, the other day we found some morels at springtime. So the other day we mm-hmm. found some morels and we ate those and you can't mess that up. Right. We eat some oyster mushrooms. You can't mess that up, but I would never put them in a situation. Um, right. sure. I'm not just being like polite. I'm not being polite right now uh, because my wife would kill me. It just everything bad would happen if they yeah. got in any well, you way talked about it in the book. sick from a mushroom. Yeah. yeah, it's something that you used to do. And so you had that yeah. phrase in there, the poison weight. So I, I liked, I'd never heard that before. Okay, you talk about um, finding razor clams at the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't, I, I grew up in Michigan. So oh, we're, and uh, we're from Michigan. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sitting in Michigan at this very second. So uh, I grew up in Michigan. We didn't have salt. You know, we didn't have uh, saltwater clams. We had freshwater clams, but those aren't eaten because they're biotoxins. And there's Mm -hmm. there's widely regarded as freshwater clams are widely regarded as not safe for human consumption. But uh, we lived for a time in Seattle and um, Seattle's a big city, right? It's like one of the things I talk about in the book is that that, um, you can't take no for an answer. You know, like if you're going to have, you're going to create outdoor experiences for your kids, you just have to set in your mind. You have to like, we're doing this and I don't care. Like nothing's going to stand in my way because Mm -hmm. for people that live in cities and I had my first two kids in New York, I had my third kid in Seattle. We spent a lot of time in cities and we spent a lot of time being very deliberate about creating opportunities. So when I was living in Seattle, I would hear about digging for razor clams. Um, and it'd be a, a thing people you could do and you could do an hour drive out of Seattle and go dig for razor clams. And, uh, 
the razor clan, he lives, you know, he's about the size of, uh, maybe about half the size of your palm. Right. And he lives deep down, but he's got this long neck that the clam, a siphon that the clam puts up to the surface and it sits right below the surface and he just sucks in sediment and it filters out stuff he wants to eat when they get scared and vibration scares them. So they can tell something's coming, right? They can mm-hmm. tell a predator's approaching on the surface. And, and when you do that, you, you create like a little seismic activity, right? You're shaking the ground. So he retracts, he retracts that siphon. Um, and it creates like a small vacuum at the surface. So as you're walking along on the mud flat, like where the tides receded, it's just like wet mud. And you'll see this little dimple. Um, and they'll call that the show and different clams have different shows. And some of the clam shows last for a moment, a razor clam show is, uh, you know, I, I say it's like, I think I say this, the definition of ephemeral. It's like, it, it, it's, it's sub it's way sub a second. Um, wow. when he retracts that siphon, like there's no, he, he, his presence isn't demonstrated when it's there. It's just him pulling it away. creates this little pucker like a dime sized little pucker at the sand. It's so fast that you don't actually like, you realize you don't really see it. You just remember seeing it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like it happens so fast. You sort of like left, like remembering some part of your brains. Like, no, I just saw that even though it's gone, it was there for a moment. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to show your kids things, you know, it helps to have, Right. Like, you know, it helps to have very clear demonstrations of things, you know, it'd be like, mm-hmm. that is an apple. It's red, right? right? It's hanging on a tree. It'll be yeah. there in an hour. Right. Like, that's an apple. Uh, to explain a razor clam show, when I myself, not that clear about it, was a lot of fun. Um, and, and we kind of got it down in this day. Yeah. I explained, sort of got it down to find a show, you know, and you it was, have a it tube. Was that, yeah, that was one of the that was one of the nicest uh, of many nice days. That was one of the nicest days I spent with my kids. Kids, wow. all three of them, was like out there trying to learn a razor clam show. Wow. Yeah. Well, what's really cool about your book, Stephen, is that you know it didn't leave me feeling like uh, guilty um, or even like oh. I wish I could do all these different things. It was just super interesting, you know, to learn about that in these different geographical locations that there's these really cool things that you can do depending on where you live. Uh, I I've, I love that you had this theme through the entire book. I think all the way through woven through about life lessons when kids get outside. Um, and one of my, fa- one of my favorite sentences was when you said, um, we do these hard things so that you can hang out with cool people when you're older. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, that, right? that, that, yeah, that's become something of a joke with my kids too. Cause they still, I say it all the time, but they still don't really understand what I mean when I say it. Right. But you become an interesting person and then people, you know, they're interested in what you yeah. have to say, but so you talk about different life lessons, dealing with impermanence, increased tolerance. Um, you know, what are kids missing when they're inside all the time? Well, you, you step out of a, when you go outside, you step outside of a controlled environment. Um, 
and you step into a place where there are there are very immediate factors at play that defy your understanding that aren't quickly remedied and that you're not going to, you can't adjust. Like you're not going to be able to adjust it. So you learn to sort of cope with it and live with it and, and, and get into like expecting the unexpected. Meaning if in an in-home life and, and we have an in-home life, right? Like maybe for whatever reason, you're trying to buy a movie, you know, on, on the, you know, the Apple platform. And for whatever reason, you can't because of some glitch, right? It's disappointing, but you wind up being, it's a, it, you're, you're frustrated with this very tangible, addressable issue, right? You need to go in and troubleshoot the, the computer, but it's, it's like, you're frustrated because something didn't work out the way you want, but it's still like, it's a very man-made problem and you immediately go to how to solve it mm-hmm. outside. If you go into situations like we just spent a weekend out uh, camping in our, in our camper. So sort of camping in our camper. Um, and we knew going in, it was just going to like cold and it was going to rain like unseasonably. Right. And nothing, there's no, you know, I I would never change the plan. Like we're still going to go and there's no customer service department that's going to like handle this problem. So you get these issues of like dealing with the cold of, of accepting some things that aren't the way you want them to be. And learning to adapt it because you don't call the shots. Like life is, there's dynamic aspects to life. There's things you hope to happen, but you you can't because it's disappointing. It's one of the things I talk a lot about fishing in the book. I like to fish my kids. Um, It's a thing where you can't even, the, the greatest scientific minds, like the greatest biological minds have not been able to explain to everyone's satisfaction why some days fish won't bite. We just don't know. And so to spend time like in that, like in that frustration of why, and then all of a sudden the sun kind of set and all of a sudden you caught all kinds of fish. Why? Like what trip are these fish on? You know, Um, Mm -hmm. we'll never know, but it just, it opens up all these areas of exploration. And I, you know, I I try really hard to point out in the book. um, I'm far, like I am not a perfect father at all. I'm not a perfect husband at all. I'm a far cry from it. But what I have developed in the 12 years I've spent now, like I've 12 years of fatherhood behind me, um, I've developed a certain subject matter expertise around the rewards, difficulties, challenges of like trying to get kids outside. And I don't say always like getting them outside what it's like trying to get them outside, you know, Mm -hmm. and the same things I find the same things that wind up probably being most rewarding, those challenges, like the being cold, the being wet, the being bored, the not finding what you're after. um, Those challenges are not fun as they're happening. It's always better if it's warm. It's always better if it's sunny. It's always better if bugs aren't, if mosquitoes aren't biting. But those very challenges become the things that that I think give kids what I would like them to get from the experience, which is an ability to accept what can't be changed, Mm -hmm. to learn how to cope with it, and to have some physical tenacity, some physical and mental tenacity, and know that everything isn't solved by turning a dial up or down. 
Right. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside 50 to get 50% off. Yeah, you talk about that in your book, but you know, the heater and the air conditioning and um, there's, you mentioned the documentary Happy People um, with the guy mm-hmm. and he had mosquitoes all over his back and he just, he had a high level of tolerance and that, you know, you, you say you can't learn these things other ways, uh, only through practice. Um, and then also an opportunity, I think, for the parent you know, or the guardian, you know, whoever is with the kids to, to increase their, their muscles in dealing with all the different types of things, because things go wrong. Uh, you know, (laughs) probably one of my favorite sentences in the whole book was when you said your spouse has made a dozen nasty comments about the things that you failed to pack. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's so relatable, you know, but I think as a parent too, you know, your kids are learning, but we're learning too, to be stretched, I liked what you said at the beginning about being an organization freak and that that doesn't go hand in hand with parenting. And so we also have to grow in these situations. Oh, I've, yeah, it's, uh, I remember, I don't want to, a, a dear friend of mine, and hopefully enough time has gone by that he won't remember telling me this. Um, 
he's a wonderful guy. I'm not going to say his name, but he uh, works really hard. He's got a demanding job, right? And he's on the kind of schedule where uh, he's got a couple weeks of it. He's got two weeks of vacation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, he's working. He's like coaching, you know, kids sports and he's just busy all the time. And he was explaining to me one time, he, he likes to, he's an avid deer hunter. And I was like, well, man, you know, we're talking about what that's going to be like after having done all that with just his buddies, what it's going to be like now that he is going to be doing that with his young kids, the challenges presented. And he kind of had things like, and let me tell you something. I have two weeks a year that are my time. That's not going to change, but this is my time. Um, and he's a beloved friend, a great dad. But I remember thinking like, man, you can't, uh, I don't know that I said it to him, but I was like, that, that, that approach can't work. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like you, like that thing you love, they need to, you need to bring your kids out to, to, to have them see what it's like to be with someone that loves this thing, mm-hmm. like demonstrate the enthusiasm, right. Yeah. To, to like, this is, this is like this. If you had two every year, if you had two free weeks, there's the one thing you want to go do. I was like, how would you not want to show your kids what the thing, when you really have time to really do the thing you love, like, don't you want them to see you love it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and that's the thing I think about all the time is like, we have these kind of fun arguments, even with some guys that work, we have these fun arguments about sports and skiing and, you know, and, and, uh, there's certain things I don't do with my kids, right. That are pretty normal. Like I, 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 I don't want them to get involved. Not that if they really want to, I wouldn't prevent them, but I don't hope for them to get involved in organized sports to have a big weekend commitment. Cause I right. like for us to go camping and stuff on the weekends. Right. And, and, uh, you know, we'll laugh about that, but I'm like, but I'm, I have a certain bag of like tricks, right. I have a certain passion for something. So if my passion was football, then I think we would share like, we would have that passion together. I would demonstrate my passion to them that way. It just so happens that my passion is in the outdoors. So I, why not show them that? Like, why not show them that relationship? I think that they're going to get more from witnessing the relationship that they can then apply when they become their own people and they become older and they have their own uh, personalities and their own passions. They'll probably remember like what it's like to, to, to see someone experience a lifestyle that makes them feel alive. Right. Right. As much as like, here's how you catch X, Y type of fish. Right. You know? Well, you think about, I'm, yeah, that there's kids that, that have never seen that, that have never seen um, an adult passionate about life, you know, and in that environment. Yeah, it's a, it's a, they, they, they know that you get burned out at work. Right. Mm-hmm. They know you come home and you sort of, you know, with a smile on your face, sort of like begrudgingly make dinner. They know that you kind of like begrudgingly clean up. They know that you'd wish they'd brush their teeth and get the pajamas on the first time you asked. Right. And, and this, this, this is, I'm not, I'm not trying to, con- I'm not like condemning everyday life. Like everyday life is wonderful. So it's a gift, but there's that. And then there's like seeing, you know, their, their, their caregiver, seeing their parent in action, you know, doing it. I think, it, I think it's, it's, it, yeah. yeah, it's important. Yeah. What brings them to life? 
inviting them into the into that world of adults that world of and it's their world too but but this world of adults where you're making decisions and choosing things that make you come alive mm-hmm. And, and I like what you yeah. said, because then they're going to have their own things, whatever those things are, as they grow older. And then hopefully they choose those two instead of, you know, sitting on the couch. And I think, Steve, you are so um, humble and so uh, accessible in the way that you talked in this book about ir- being irritated yourself and about, you know, the arguments with the spouse and, um you know, about the times that, you know, kids aren't always happy and, you know, they're crying about different things, but that in the end, it always seems worth it, you know? Yeah, it was funny starting a project like this. I was very aware of, um, well, let me put it this way. We have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends that spend a lot of time with my kids, right? And I've had a lot, I got a lot of friends that have seen me just lose, you know, my composure. Um, I've got a lot, right? So for me to come and write something where I paint this like incredibly rosy picture mm-hmm. would feel like so hypocritical to me where, you know, people be like, oh man, I was over at the house the other day and then <laughs> we're having this big debate about iPads. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. th- th- it's not like, ro- it's not like a totally rosy scenario. So I thought, you know, I got to, I got to really, um, go out of my way here to, to make it clear all the areas in which like, I don't have it figured out, you know, um, I, I point out in there that it it is a, in our household technology, you know, screens, however you want to put it is a daily conversation. It's a daily Mm -hmm. conversation. It'd be like, uh, that doesn't look like your homework or, you know, he's supposedly doing his homework on, and then you come up and he like, you see, he really kind of quickly closes some windows out on the computer. You're like, well, what was that all about? You know? Oh no, no, nothing, nothing. Right. It's all the time, all the time. Um, yeah. but I feel like I, 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 I win enough of the arguments to, to, to get through it, but there's, I don't think there's any way to escape that. I don't think there's any way to escape that kind of tension. I, and, and maybe some people have, but I'm a little to hear that someone doesn't have the areas in their life where they've fallen a little short. I feel like they might not be, there might not be being entirely honest. You know? Yeah. I think what it does is it allows people to say, look, you know, I'm scared to camp, uh, but you know, maybe my kid's not going to have poop in their pants at least, you know, or whatever the yeah. thing. I mean, they're like, sure. or, yeah, or exactly. if they do, or if they do, well, then they're like, well, this guy had that happen too. And it's not that big of a deal. And, um, you know, you even talk about going home early, even though, you know, you didn't want to go home early and, um, and all these types of things. And I, it, it makes it seem like, oh, well, I'll try it then. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, and I thought that was such a cool part of your book. When, when I was, Oh, I was going to say when I was uh, working on the book, like uh, a friend sent me this article uh, based on conversations we we're having about the book. They sent me this article, and I even I even quote the individual. It's not it's the names escape me right now, but it, it's a someone who is inviting parents to to consider the amount of power they have over a situation to set the mood, mm. the amount of influence yeah. you have over the mood in the room. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wrote that down. Yeah. And, and that really, that really 
Yeah, that really struck me because uh, yeah. in, in terms of, you know, things, admitting when things aren't perfect, um, mm. I had, a, you know, I was raised, my dad was wonderful about a lot of things and, and uh, always took us outside, put a very, very strong emphasis on family time, very strong emphasis on being in the outdoors, but was also a really, at times, uh, a very hard person to be around like, you know, demanding and patient, right. Fly off the handle about things. Um, and I wish that, you know, that he might've taken the time to see that and, and, comp- and comprehended it the way I did or looked at it the way I had this idea of like, just take pause and consider how much power you have to influence the mood around you. And, um, wow. you know, and I don't know that he did that. And that's one of the things that, that I, really try to do. And, and my wife points out to me as well. She's like, we can wake up in the morning and go down to have breakfast. And we, the minute we walk in, we've already set the mood, but you set the mood, Wow, you know, and, 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 and it becomes entrenched, man. And I think that in that time spent outside, it's like, just also just like trying like deliberately to be like, I have to be careful because I'm the one who holds the power here in the mood set. Right. And that's yeah. one of the areas where I've tried my hardest to improve as a parent, because, you know, I have that power and I guess wow. I've abused, I've abused the power and neglected the power at times. Mm. I, th- that, uh, that, those parts of the book really uh, stuck out to me um, quite a bit. I wrote them down. The adult is the decisive element whose daily mood makes the weather. Oh, there you go. Um, yep, what yep. a statement. Yeah, it's a big one. And our kids take our cues from us. So, you know, when things are going poorly, um, you know, I think I think that shows your growth, too. You know, so over the past 12 years, and I think I think that's a cool thing about adventuring with kids. It's not it's harder. Um, I liked what you even talked about with camping. You say, of course, it's harder. You know, um, it's in many ways harder. Um, But you say, you know, we always come away with the fact that we just pulled something off well worth doing and we ought to do it again soon. Uh, so it's this odd thing, you know, that it's harder, but um, but in some ways easier, you know, it increases your connections and gives you more grit and then you learn for the next time uh, what you can do better. What, uh, what would you say, you talk about obstacles, your kids are 12, um, are they 12, 10 and eight or so? Yeah, my uh, how old they are? Seven, nine, and twelve. Okay, seven, nine, and twelve. Um, and you talk about you know that these different obstacles at different stages. You know, obviously when they're little, it's the naps and the diapers and um, and sleeping. Uh, you know, what would what would you say to parents who say there's too many obstacles? Well, I, I think that one is to try to be. I'll tell you what has worked for us is um, to, to try to think ahead and, and picture situations. Um, well, I realized I should touch on the obstacles. Like for us right now, uh, where we're at now, we used to be at the obstacles were nap time obstacles were, um, you know, this like really tight regimen of like eating, right. For a long time, those obstacles of, of the breastfeeding obstacles. My wife had to deal with like all these things. Now it's, uh, obstacles of technology and becoming increasingly obstacles of social social life for the kids like because they're friends right they got friends yeah. and yeah. they're getting out of the age where they make plans at 
school with friends and they feel like a sense of commitment that they told someone they're going to do a thing and it and to them and you yeah. kind of want to laugh it off it's like it's as real to them as it is when you make a plan with somebody like they said they're going to do something and so you know that they, they have these lives of their own um we recently uh looking ahead it was springtime we're looking ahead even in the late summer and we're like kind of we're surprised to see that uh we have a local area we like to go camp close to home and it was some of our you know really nice weekends last year and we were sort of surprised to see that we only had three weekends out of the whole summer that we would go to have this like quiet family time camping near the house wow. and so we had the you know wherever we go like we'll be at grandma's we'll be up at, at a you know yep. fishing at a place in alaska but like in terms of just like one thing that means a lot to us we didn't have that much of it um not as much as we yeah. Seeing that far off, seeing that as far off as possible um, and taking some steps to remedy it months in advance. Right. Mm -hmm. That was uh, yeah. that was one of the ways to deal with the obstacles. The other thing is we'll now and then take a weekend and we know we're going to do something and we let everyone know so that there's no surprise and we'll build a sort of momentum. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard to. Let's say you're gonna go, you're just gonna go spend a day on the water, spend a day down by the river, swimming, and have a picnic, whatever it is. It's at the age our kids are now; they're not as sort of like loosey goosey about time as they once were. So it's hard on Saturday morning to be like yeah. ta da, right? Because they have this thing in their head of like how it's gonna go. But if we tell them, if I was to now start laying the groundwork for a week from now, which to them is a long time away still, I'm like next weekend this is what's happening. Right. And every day it's like, this is what's happening. That, that thing there's, there's very little resistance because they, they've kind of like mm -hmm. built it in, you know? And so we're finding now that you kind of have to the same way you'd be with friends, you know, um, at this right. point in time, I know that I can't on a Saturday call a friend of mine on a Saturday, Saturday morning and propose that we go away for the day because like there's a hundred reasons why it's hard to treat them more like how you treat your peers in yeah. allowing that like we're, we're setting aside time and we're going to be deliberate about it this is the thing we're going to do that really cuts back on that on cuts back on the resistance this episode is brought to you by better help question what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot, and for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. 
but I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. It's really interesting because actually it feels like it's setting a path forward, right? You know, if you have a, a son that's 12, you know, it's like, well, when they're an adult, you know, in our oldest is 13, you know, in 10 years, that's how we're going to be doing it, right? Which is, you know, making plans ahead of time and, and hoping that they still choose here and there to come adventure with us. Um, I really like that. I think the point is too, is that there's always obstacles. Um, and I think that that is a theme in the book, right? So it's like, well, you know, you can't wait till there's no obstacles because they're just going to be different obstacles. And we're kind of in the same boat as you, right? Where the kids are, they're having their own lives and now it's trickier to find the time. Um, and so it's not that there are no obstacles. It's just that they're different. Yeah. So you just, you got to just jump in and deal. I think like every kid develops at a different pace and, you know, no two people are the same way, but I would say uh, if I was going to pick like a, 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 a uh, a age where there's the least amount of friction. Um, I would say it's probably my, our, our seven-year-old boy. Uh, yeah. You can spring things on him, right? He, he like, he most days still wakes up and asks if he's going to school today. Like just the whole sort of, right. He hasn't got like a go to school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, he's like, is today a school day? It's like, yeah, buddy, today's a school day. Um, so, but he's pretty self-sufficient. Like you can tell him to go up in his room and get dressed. You can tell him to pack his backpack. You can tell him to grab some snacks, get a water bottle. Right. But he's also just easy. He doesn't have plans, you know? Um, and, and that's, but it's a short window. I mean, it sure it's a short is. window. And if you have multiple kids, if you have multiple kids, they're not, you know, they're not all seven at the same time, unless you got triplets or, or whatever, which some people do, but. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was another obstacle. That's another obstacle I talked about in the book is dealing with people when they're really young. You have people that, you know, one's raring to go. And if you have multiple kids, like one's raring to go and one's not. Um, yeah. And, and, and that can make you just kind of be like, well, I'll never mind. Like it'll, we'll never get it worked out. Yeah. yeah right. You talked about the obstacle of, of dealing with the disapproval of others, which I thought was actually a really interesting one. Yeah, that was particularly like, um, you know, when we lived in Seattle, um, and I don't mean to act like this is like necessarily location wise, but in large, like we have certain disciplines and certain pursuits we engage in that that um, some people view as is controversial i think it's unwarranted but they do like we do a lot of hunting we do a lot of fishing and so living in some urban areas where people just have zero familiarity with that some of those practices might seem um you know that that our kids have exposure to like they learned how to 
shoot guns at an early age. And uh, we have like a lot of safety protocols. We learn to shoot guns at an early age. We spend time out in, uh, spend time out on the ocean in small boats. We do think we, we spend time yeah. in grizzly bear, a lot of time in grizzly bear country. And it could be things where people would kind of look and, you know, you'd sort of, you can, you can feel it a little bit um, of the, you're kind of like the reckless ones or you're doing a thing mm-hmm. that you, you shouldn't do, or, or that's dangerous, or I don't, you know, I don't want my kid to play over there. I mean, these are all things we've encountered. And, yeah. and I think that yeah. at this point, um, at first I would feel a little bit like I wanted to explain myself more. I might've been more willing to engage, but after a while mm-hmm. of being at this, I'm kind of more like, um, if that's not something, if that's not something you want your family to be around, or that's not a thing that you want your, your kid to be exposed to, if they're over our house, um, that's fine. Like, I don't have a problem with it, but this is what we have. Yeah. This is what we have going on. And, and we're on this path and we're not going to be changing our path. Um, yeah. love you. Like, I, like I, I love and respect you, but it's just, this is what's happening over here. Right. I, I like what you talked about, you know, talked about the campfire um, and, you know, the kids are, do this, our kids do this, you know, they take the stick and they smolder it and they're, you know, they're waving their, their smoke in the air. Um, and that, you know, that these things are teaching them situational awareness. And so I really, you are really clear throughout all the, the whole book about how you just systematically and very intentionally teach your children about these different things um, while you're doing it. It's not willy nilly. You know, there's a lot of thought behind it and um, a lot of baby steps along the way. Uh, I, the book is really fantastic m- making things access- seem accessible, um, you know, and just giving ideas within stories so that they're easier to remember. Uh, how about one last topic? because I think this is a topic that's near and dear to all of us, uh, is kids being entertained. Um, and I think as as parents mm-hmm. and caregivers, you know, we really want our kids to be entertained. We don't want them to be bugging us, you know, and I think that's why the toy store shelves are always uh, glimmering. Um, but you talk about minnow nets, you know, these simple things. They played hundreds of hours with minnow nets you know, oh, I mean, this, yeah. this is really what we're wanting as parents, right? You know, um, so, so what is it about nature that sort of makes parenting a little bit easier in that sense of kids being entertained? There's a term that I talk about in the book, and it was popularized by a biologist named E.O. Wilson. And it's a, a term called biophilia. And the definition of the word is that humans or the, the idea, the concept is that humans have an innate desire to connect with other life forms. Um, I think that biofuel runs, runs really strong in kids, like like outrageously strong through kids. Um, just to go out into some kind of, whether it's underneath a rotting log, along the shoreline and some weeds, just to see what's there. Um, and I think that you can help that, right? You can help that a little bit by giving them some pointers about the best places to look to encounter these other life forms. Uh, I, I talk a lot about that. My kids like to roll rocks along the tide line along the ocean because you flip the rock and there's a bunch of crabs and stuff running away. Uh, maybe I don't remember. I maybe at some point took my kids down and was like, Hey, check this out. Right. And roll the rock. Uh, or I'm sure at some point I took 
them out and showed them when you flip a rotten log over out in the woods and there's all these centipedes and roly polies that go scurrying. Um, but then it creates a thing for them to spend a lot of time by themselves doing. And one of the best purchases we've ever made is we've had to buy them more than once because they get worn out. Was buying these little dip nets, little minnow nets, you know, mm-hmm. and they can wander around, yeah. wading around in the water, seeing what all water bugs and stuff they catch in these nets. Um, where I, and I, I explain in the book, like where I have a sort of personal tension would be that you want them to, to, to be able to play unsupervised, right? You want them to just be able to entertain themselves. On the other hand, you kind of want to show them things. Like there's, like if you really want to catch something, with, like with a beach sand, like a two-person net that you kind of drag, right? If you really want to catch something, here's how you do it, right? You hold it at this angle and you, you do it this way. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're sort of at it, you know, and they're not at it. So I always struggle with how do you get them up to speed, like get them poised to make cool discoveries. You know, it's not really on subject, but my, my, my youngest boy really wanted a metal detector, you know, but so uh, he got a metal detector for Christmas. We've been out messing with his metal detector and I'm kind of like, he just wants to take the metal detector and go. But I'm always like, no, 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 because we're going to do this to the settings and you're supposed to do it this way. And his mind is like, no, he just wants to go. Right. And I'm like, but if you really want to find something cool and it's like, give me the metal detector because I'll show you how to, you know, I struggle with this all the time. Mm -hmm. He just wants to cut loose and I'm trying to impose. He just wants to explore and I'm trying to impose like a level of discipline and impose expertise, you know, and um, right. And, and I don't think it's one or the other, right? There's a balance there to be struck. Yeah, the balance. Right. That's super interesting. Well, Steve, um, I just, I, I want to thank you again so much for taking this time. Like I said, I know you're so swamped and um, this is just such a gift to me and to our whole audience. I know they're so unbelievably excited about this. I have, I really, truly uh, enjoyed your book so much, Outdoor Kids in an Inside World. Uh, Stephen, people can get it, obviously, on Amazon, um, wherever books are sold. Uh, can they get it on your website, um, themeateater.com as well? Oh, no, I think, you, yeah, I think you got it covered. I mean, it's just wherever, you know, like the old wherever books are sold. But Yeah. Can we end with one question? end with one quick question um and i know people can find you on your website as well your website is phenomenal there's so much information there i was blown away how to fish at night three best tasting invasive plants to forage this spring how to make pasta i mean this is just a fantastic website um themeateater.com so and your books are where your books are wherever books are sold outdoor kids in an inside world is fantastic um so we're here in michigan and i know you grew up near muskegon yeah um Hey, Michigan, we always end our podcast with a favorite outdoor childhood memory of yours. Oh, man, I got a lot of them. But as uh, this uh, as summer's coming on, I remember that when we were little, I grew up on this little lake, not little, it was a 66 acre lake. And uh, and when the water started warming up, it was time to go swimming. I think that for whatever reason we had in our minds that that we really like to swim in like a torrential rain. So if it was raining out, we always kind of wanted to go get, you know, me and my siblings and friends, we always wanted to go get in the water. And I remember it caused my mom uh, a lot of anxiety because like, of course you don't want to get like a lightning strike, you know? Right. And, but also at the same time, she doesn't want to sort of like, she didn't want to 
you know, squash this enthusiasm to do this thing. And so I just, as with the summer coming on and think about Michigan stuff, I think about like those times, my mom standing on the porch where you could see out on the lake and her kind of monitoring the thunderheads and waiting when it was like time to make the call that everybody's going to get their butts out of the water, <laughs> get their butts out of the water. Right. And, uh, and I'll, I'll have yeah. my kids this summer. We'll visit, uh, my mom still lives in the same house I was brought up in, and we get to spend some time there around the Fourth wow. of July. So we'll uh, they'll they'll be able to go oh, swim in that best. off the same dock and yeah, swim in the that's same lake the where I was where I used to swim, right? Yeah. yeah. Michigan summers are gorgeous. Well, thank you, Stephen. Uh, so appreciate it. Just absolutely uh, loved your book so much, and uh, thanks for spending this time with us. Yep. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Yep. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. 
Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.